0: uh so once again thanks for inviting me back i appreciate it and i'm actually really fired up about this message uh so i'm actually really glad to get it i did a lot of praying over it because it's something the lord's been really laying on my heart for a long time and it's uh something very personal for me too uh but i'll go ahead and just open up in prayer real quick dear heavenly father thank you so much for allowing us to come together just like we said earlier, Lord, two or three gather in your name, and you're right there. I pray that this message gets pushed out, Lord, and then from this message, when people hear it, they'll just push it out to others around them, Lord, and be able to pitch it in their own way, however the Holy Spirit's going to work, Lord. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Your will alone. Amen. All right, so base passage for today is going to be found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And honestly, in my opinion, as you're getting there, this is probably the scariest verse in all of the Bible. Here we see our Lord Jesus telling people who is going to enter the kingdom of heaven and who is not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It reads everybody good? You go ahead and let me know when y'all are. It's fine. Oh yeah. yeah, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And if I go too fast and I say it too fast or whatever, just let me know and I'll, I'll go ahead and slow back down. <laughs> I know I can talk fast sometimes. All right, so Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 reads like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You guys go ahead. Be seated. I appreciate that. Thank you. And once again, this is the my opinion here. Scariest verse in all the Bible. Jesus is telling people who thought they were a Christian, who thought they believed, who thought they were going to heaven when they die, and only for him to say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's scary. Why would Jesus say this to these people? Could we possibly be one of those people? One of the words that strike fear in, into my heart personally is the very first word on verse 22, where he says, many, many will come to me. He'll have to say, depart from me to many people. It's not a few or some, but many. So how do we know if we're going to be one of these people or not? And that's, that's really one of the base questions here. And honestly, the answer to that can be found in the passage itself. In verse 21, Jesus says, but he who does the will of my father will enter. So before we get any further into this, I do want to say, I want to point out what this passage is not talking about, because this passage has been, if any of you ever studied this before, this passage gets twisted and uh, perverted so many different times by, depending who you talk to, different preachers, people in congregations. So number one, this passage is not talking about losing your salvation. The people Christ is addressing here, he says in the verse, he never knew you. So meaning they weren't somebody who came to him and then lost their salvation. This is somebody he never knew. Number two, this passage is not talking about a faith plus works equals salvation. Some people try to point to that. But that's simply not the case. And if you don't believe me, just read the book of Romans and you'll see how that is not the case. So then the question could be posed. What is this verse talking about? What is this passage talking about? So let's go ahead and take a uh, type of hermeneutical approach to it where we break it down what it meant back then. So who was Jesus talking to originally? Talking to the Jews, right? Right. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to the Jews. And from what we know in our Bible, especially at this time, Jews were the most religious people around. There was no one more religious than they were. Checked all the blocks, do everything you're supposed to do, go to church, do what the, the law says you have to do. They were very religious people. And they were people that claimed that they were reconciled with God. But we know in reality... Many of them were just self-deceived. So how does one become self-deceived? And this is a theme you're going to keep hearing a little bit. Jesus gives us an example, a few sentences above our key passage in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Starting at verse 15, it reads like this. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every tree, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree does not produce good fruit. If it does not produce good fruit, it is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Jesus here is telling us, beware. You know, there's going to be people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be pastors, who claim to be doing the work of God. And in reality, they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Oftentimes, they like to mix a little bit of truth. So I like like to uh, actually the Greek word that they use a lot of times when they talk about these false preachers is akin to like a fishing lure, you know, or a fishing bait, like where they deceive you, they think it's real, it looks real, and then they grab you by the hook, and then they pull you up, and before you know it, you're too far gone. That's what a lot of these false teachers, false people do, is they'll reel you in with some truth, give a good message about Jesus, give a good message, and, and then they suck you in. Next thing you know, you're believing the lie and you're too far into it. Only the Lord can pull you out at that point. We see this all over the Bible, like I was saying, and obviously this is a big deal because it was so mentioned so many times. You will know them by their fruits. I think that was a very important thing that Jesus told us. And one of the things I think it really hits on is, one, we have to know our Bible. We have to know our word. We have to be in our word, I would say, daily, reading and studying and making sure we know what's in here. Because at the end of the day, if you're listening to somebody preach you know, even me, write down the verses I'm saying, double check me in the Bible, make sure I'm telling the truth. Because at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of people can come up here and say a bunch of stuff to y'all, and then. but if you're not double checking it in the Bible, I mean, what's the point then? You know, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So if someone claims to be a brother and sister in Christ, but they do not live this is the main point I'm getting at. If someone claims to be a brother and sister in Christ, but they're not living a life that accurately represents what the Bible says, you have every right to question that. And it's not for like a superficial reason. It's not because, oh, you want to get some person down or beat them down and question their faith or anything like that. But it's because you love them and you care for them. And you actually care for their soul and where their, where their soul is going to be when they, when they die. Are they going to go to heaven or are they going to go to hell? You really care about them. That is why Jesus had to call these people out who are claiming to be a Christian. But yet maybe they're not and they're just self-deceived. So next verse I'm going to go over is going to be Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 17. And now mind you, the Lord here is talking to fellow Jews in this passage, but the principle still remains the same today. And this is how Jesus told us to go about what we were just talking about, calling each other out, really. He says, if a brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. So don't blast it out on Facebook. Don't uh, shout it out loud in the town square. You know, go to them in private. If they sin, go to them in private. And if he listens to you, then you have won your brother back. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more. With you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So you give them a second chance. You you bring some people along, you confront them again about it, and if they're still denying it, they still want to live in their sin. Then after that, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. And if you didn't know, a tax collector in those days, were the lowest of the low. We always see it referred to. In fact, I mean, they were regarded as so low because they were Jewish citizens who pretty much abandoned their faith, abandoned their beliefs, abandoned their loyalty to Israel and went to go work for the Roman government. And if you know anything about the Jews, they hated that so much they were outcasts. They were kicked out of the synagogues. They were kicked out of the temple. Uh, They couldn't gather together with other people. They had to all huddle up together. And honestly, that makes the story of Matthew, I mean, that means so much. When I first learned about that, the story of Matthew just took on a whole new light for me. Like, whoa, okay, so that's what it was like. But anyways, back to our main topic, you see that as true Christians, we're still going to stumble. And ultimately, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to repent of those sins and what repent means is to literally mean change your mind, change your thought pattern, go into a different direction, and to live a life that we hope is pleasing to God. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. We no longer want to do the things of the world, uh, the things that the world loves to doing, the things that the world says is acceptable. And in turn, we're going to want to do the will of the Father. So it goes all the way back to Matthew, chapter 27, or Matthew 7, verses 21 again. We want to do the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit will enable us to do the will of the Father. I think a really good supporting passage for this is in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. It says there, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body? What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But some may well say, you have faith and I have works, Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So in other words, break real quick, because a lot of people sometimes twist this in the saying, James is talking about faith plus works, which we're about to show, see. He's not talking about that. He is talking about how works is an evidence of our faith. Works is something that comes natural from our faith. The minute you receive the Holy Spirit, the same thing, he's going to change your mind to where you're going to want to do good works, which are the only works that are pleasing to God is when you're doing them in the spirit. If you're not in the spirit, they're not pleasing to God whatsoever. That's what James is trying to get at. Uh, Bring it back down. I think we left off on verse 17. Even so, faith without works is dead, being by itself. But some may well say, You have your faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So here we have him saying, It's not good enough to just believe, because even the demons believe. If you remember the story about uh, Jesus, one of the times he went up to some demons, it was in the book of Matthew, and. The demon told him, he's like, why are you here to torture me before the day? So obviously reading that demons had an eschatology. They knew what was going to happen in the end of times. They know what their eternity is going to be. So they believe in Jesus. They believe in God. They believe what the Bible says is going to happen at the end of the time. So what's the difference between demons and us? is we have faith, and with that faith produces good works. Demons don't do good works, (laughs) obviously. He continues on to say, uh, I believe at uh, verse 20, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac up his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, faith was perfected. And scripture was fulfilled and says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. When the very moment that Abraham believed God's promise, he was made righteous in God's eyes. But the moment he took Isaac up on the altar and was about to shove that knife through Isaac's chest, that's when his faith became pretty much manifest into works. Otherwise, you can't prove your faith to anybody else unless you have the good works. And obviously, I wanna keep reiterating this, it is not of yourself, it is of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, that brings us to our next point, which is Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through nine. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast. I want to make that very, very clear. Faith is a gift from God and it's not of ourselves. It's no work, so nobody can boast about it. But the works that come from our faith, that is another gift of God and that proves our faith. So, James, we see here, is saying that if you are saved by faith in Christ, then good works will be a result. So James is fighting against, in this chapter, uh, I'm going to use a long word here, and it's called antinomianism, okay? If you don't know what that is, it's pretty much the belief that we are saved by faith through grace, which is absolutely correct, but because we are saved by faith through grace, I can live however I want and do whatever I want because God is just going to forgive me. While that's kind of true in a way, the, the way that they're meaning it is totally useless. So in other words, they're saying, I can go live a life of unrepentant sin, do whatever I want to do. I can sleep around, I can you know, get drunk, I can go to the clubs, go to the bars, kill this person over here, do whatever I want. God's gonna forgive me in the end. Absolutely not. And the reason why I say that is because you were never saved in the first place if that's what you believe. That's not the spirit that God put inside of us. The same battle that James is fighting here in this chapter is sadly still going on today. And you've heard me talk about big churches and stuff before. I'm not a huge fan of mega churches that preach a very simple, easy, Jesus loves you, do whatever you want message. Um, Because it's not biblical. You can't preach only half truths. We have many big, huge churches that will not preach on sin and consistently remind you of the forgiveness of God, which is awesome, Remind you of the forgiveness of God. That's why we're saved. But they will never once tell their congregations that if you continue in a life of sin after coming to Christ, then you never really came to Christ in the first place. It's a, it's a simple, hard fact. And honestly, I believe that's one of the most loving things that you can do for somebody. Because it is not easy, I get it, to sit there to your friend who confesses to be a Christian, but then their lifestyle is completely in the opposite direction, and then you're risking your friendship over that. Trust me, I know, I've been in that situation, I've been in those shoes, and it is tough. But that's when we got to pray. If we truly, really love these people, and we truly care about these people, we will tell them what they're doing, exactly the way that we talked about that Jesus said to do in Matthew. He gave us the plan. He gave us the layout. We just have to follow through with it. Read with me in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17. It says, therefore... I'm sorry, I'm going really fast. (laughs) I'll give it a minute. I get excited very easily when I'm talking about this. second corinthians 5 chapter 17 and it reads like this therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation or some versions read a new creature the old things have passed away behold the new things have come i love that verse I really do. Uh, and this is why Jesus told Nicodemus that we must be born again. We have been made new in Christ, and as a new creation, that old person that we used to be, that was in love with the world, in love with sinning, that old person has died. They're gone. We no longer live for this world, and our hope lies in the world for the next, in eternity, with God, in Christ, with Jesus. We have been made a new creature, a new creation. So why is it today that so many people believe that we can say a prayer? Get down on our knees, say a prayer and believe we are a Christian, but yet show no outward signs of it. People who claim to know God, but by their actions deny him. That's what it says in Titus chapter one, verse 16. Claim to know God, but by their actions deny him. It's plain and simple in my eyes. Bottom line up front, the salvation that God gave us through Christ Jesus is not something for us, but it's not something done for us. It's something done to us. If that does that make any sense? It's not something done for us. It's something done to us. It shakes our very core, our very being. Allow me to use an uh, analogy that the missionary Paul Washer once used, and he was made kind of famous for this analogy that he used. He said, "Let's imagine I show up here, run up to the platform, uh, and I'm 30 minutes late. You know, leaders are all church leaders are all angry with me and." They're like, brother, Tim, don't you don't you appreciate the fact that you were invited to this church to speak? Why would you show up late? And I'd say to you, oh, brothers, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm sorry I came here late. Uh, you're going to have to forgive me. And you're going to ask me, well, why? why? Why do we need to forgive you? And I would say, oh, well, you know, I was out there on the highway. I was driving down. I got a flat tire. I went out to go change my tire. And then the lug nut popped off. And then it rolled out in the middle of the road. And then, you know, I went to go pick up the lug nut. And then as I was picking it up, I looked to my right. And there was a, you know, 120-ton logging truck rolling 120 miles an hour. And it was 10 feet in front of me. And it smacked into me. You're going to look at me. And you're either going to call me a liar or a madman. And I'm going to go, why? Why can't you believe me? Why can't you believe that I got hit like by this logging truck? You know, my suit still looks the way it does. Everything looks good. Why can't you believe me? I'm telling you, I got hit by a logging truck. And you're going to say, there is no way that you can have an encounter with something as large as a logging truck moving 150 miles an hour down the road and get hit by it and not be changed. And I'm going to go, well, why do so many people today believe that we can have an encounter with jesus christ and still not be changed what's bigger god or a logging truck behold the power of some people's god not even bigger than a logging truck it's it's sad but it's a reality today there are so many people who believe that by virtue of saying a prayer and getting down on their knees and asking Jesus to come into your heart that they were saved. But if you truly didn't mean it, there's no point to it. And the evidence is going to show in your lives. You see, brothers and sisters, how is it that so many people profess to have an encounter with Jesus Christ and yet they are not permanently changed? That's what I'm getting at. I mean, let me give you a few things to think about. I, I can think about stuff from my history. Like how many times do people go up and constantly rededicate their lives to the Lord? You know, I'm going to rededicate, I'm going to rededicate. And while, you know, that's awesome, but if you actually don't mean it, then what, what was the point? You know, how many times do youth groups, I remember growing up in church, you know, going to youth groups all the time. We would go to these revivals and, you know, these big stadiums like they have down in New Orleans. For me, it was up in uh, Cleveland, you know, and they would play the music and they get the emotions going. And, you know, who wants to, you know, rededicate their lives to the Lord? I do, I do, I do. You know, tears falling from my eyes. And then a week and a half later, that fire is completely gone. So many people might say, oh, it was a great move of God. It was a great move of God. I was moved by God. If it didn't last, it wasn't a move by God. It was a move of our own emotions. That's why I'm not big into the whole laser light show, turn the lights down real low, dim it, play the music, put the fog machine out, because you're going to start playing with people's emotions and they're going to start thinking they're feeling things that they aren't actually, they, they aren't actually feeling. The point that I'm making is that we live in a day and age where many people think they are going to go to heaven. And I've said this before, I'm gonna keep saying it again because at some point they prayed a prayer for Jesus to come into their heart. I mean, that's not even biblical. Nowhere does it say in the Bible, pray a prayer for Jesus to come into your heart. It's just not there. What does the Bible say about following Jesus? Exactly that, we follow him. Pick up your cross and follow me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Obey. And I'm not talking out of thin air here, too. I, re- I don't want you to think that. I- this was very true for me, and that's why I said this is personal. Allow me to just give you a really short testimony uh, and then before we close this up. I grew up in an amazing Christian family, if I've never told y'all. Uh, my-, my father was a Bible teacher, my mother was a very godly woman. I mean, wow. You know, I I had everything that a good Christian kid should have growing up in a household. And one day when I was seven years old, my parents took me to this play. And I think it still runs around today. I mean, this thing's been going on forever. And it was a play where they show you uh, different people's lives. And some people went to heaven and other people went to hell. And at the end of that, they gave an altar call. And out of that altar call, you know, I felt led to get up And I got went up there, and then the head pastor, the head speaker, whoever he was, I was very young. It's hard to remember everything, but you know, he said, you know, everybody, you know, get down on your knees, bow your heads, uh, you know, close your eyes, and repeat after me. And I repeated after him, and I said this prayer. And then after we were done, he said, okay, if you said this prayer, you are now a Christian. You know, my parents were so happy, and you know, I was so happy. You know, it's emotional. I was crying, and then really from that point right up until the very beginning of high school, you know, I lived what would be a really you know, good Christian life, you would think. Listen to Christian music, go to church on Sunday. Uh, my dad would throw me some Bible verses to go ahead and memorize. Uh, a lot of that stuff I still have in my head today, which praise the Lord, I'm glad he did. But I, I was checking the block. And honestly, if you looked at my life, especially once I hit high school and beyond, if you looked at my life outside of those churchly activities, you would have never have guessed that I was a Christian. Nope. Cursing, swearing, lusting after women, drinking to get drunk, doing all the things the world says was cool. And if somebody would ever come up to me and say, hey, hey, have you heard about the good news of Jesus Christ? i be like, oh, brother and sister, I, I, I already got Jesus in my heart. I prayed the prayer, I got down on my knees, I prayed the prayer, I'm saved, don't worry about me, go give that to somebody else, I know I don't look like it right now, but you know, I'm, I'm still going there, I'm still going there, and I was so self-deceived, it was sad, it almost brings me to tears just talking about it. You know, I was putting my confidence in some prayer that I said when I was seven years old that I don't even know if I truly meant at that time. Because I got swept up in the emotion of it all. And I'm not trying to shake anybody's confidence in their own belief or anything like that. I just want people to honestly examine one themselves. And then if they already know they're good to go, then I want them to examine the people around them. You know, help each other out. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. At least I really, I really hope and pray that we are. And if we are, I really think we need to go out there and talk about this stuff with our fellow brothers and sisters and bring them in. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I really don't. You know, it was around uh, my early 20s when my father sent me this sermon by a pastor, just randomly. He would, I was deployed to Iraq, and he would send me uh, tapes in the mail, different sermons. Most of the time I wouldn't listen because I just wasn't a, uh, a good Christian at that point. Probably wasn't even Christian. And uh, I decided to pop one of them in, and it was over Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And I was like, What? Jesus is telling people that confessed his name that they're not going to be in heaven and he never knew them? This is insane. So I went and got my Bible, dusted it off and opened it up and I turned to it and I read it and at that moment, I knew that I was not one of, I was one of the people that God would say, depart from me. I never knew you. I just broke down. You know, uh, it was the most humbling experience of my life. God just revealed my utter brokenness before him. All the sins that I have committed. Everything that I had done. And once God opened my eyes, I was never the same again after that. I saw the change that happened in my life. I can look back at my life 10 years ago and see how completely different I am now compared to where I was then. I am so glad God lets us rem- lets us remember our sin. I am so ga- glad. I know He forgets it, and He casts it in the seal of forgetfulness. I am so glad He lets us remember where we were, so that way we know. How far we've come and we will never go that way again. I am truly blessed. And I know a lot of people, my heart, this is who my heart goes out to. These people who grew up in church, who grew up in a Christian family and believed by virtue of going to church or saying a prayer that they're a Christian. Because it wasn't true for me. And I know it's true for other people out there. My heart goes out to them. I mean, if, like I said before, if you already know these truths and you're a true trial to God, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord and amen and thank you, Lord, for everything. But if you know someone that isn't or even maybe you yourself are starting to question anything, I highly encourage you, speak up. Say something. I'm always available. Get my number after this. You got good people here. Bring it up. Say something. I really like it when uh, Jesus said, you know, confess me in front of other men. I'll confess you in front of my Father. Deny me in front of other people. I'll deny you. I'm paraphrasing, but I mean, that's pretty much what it says. (laughs) I think that's a very important part. Confess his name, Christ as Lord. Follow him. Do what he commands us to do. And drink from that cup that will never allow us to thirst. Does anybody want to close in prayer? Oh. <laughs> I know I couldn't have put you on the spot, but really felt led to it. I want to thank you for this <laughs> in your house, Lord. Thank all the people who made it today. Be the ones you could. Lord, watch over our Be the one on the prayer list, Lord. Thank you, sending us Brother Jim, today. Send the message you have for us today, Lord. Listen, guys, in everything we do, the rest of the week, Lord, see us back here next weekend. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all.